You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and we're going to be asking the question, why should I repent of my unbelief? But before we do, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, we invite you over to our website, desirejesus.com. Each week, that website continues to grow as we add more and more content to it. And we hope that you find it useful. We have our online Bible studies. We have our blog posts. We have our bookstore and devotional resources. We have links to both of our podcasts. And we also have a sign-up there for our weekly newsletter. I typically send out our weekly devotional on Tuesday afternoons, and it includes a word of encouragement, a brief devotional, and a link to anything that's new on the website. So stop by DesireJesus.com to sign up for that, and while you're there, send me a message. It's always nice to hear from you and to just find out how the Lord is using the content of our website and the podcasts to be a blessing to you in your walk with Christ. We always appreciate the words of encouragement. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're taking a look at Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, and we're asking the question, why should I repent? Of my unbelief. So let me read the scripture for us. Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19. This is what we read. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together today. And Lord, today as we take a look at Luke chapter 16 and we ask the question, why should I repent of my unbelief? We pray, Lord, that you'd give us your wisdom and your insight as we take a look at what your word says. Thank you, Lord, for it. 
We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, one of my children was commenting about the nature of our language and how odd it seemed to him that certain words are considered bad while other words are considered good. We discussed that concept for a few minutes, but the truth is there are certain words that seem to elicit a stronger response from us than others. Now, when speaking about spiritual issues, one word that tends to get a reaction is the word repent. Now, I don't have any hard evidence to back this up, but my gut feeling is that when most people hear that word, when they hear the word repent, they tend to feel somewhat negative toward it. It's a word that demands that a change be made. To repent may involve regret and remorse, and if it's genuine, it will also involve a change of direction. Well, the Lord invites us to be people who repent. We're encouraged to be people who practice repentance as a regular feature of our growing faith in Jesus Christ. When we first became aware of our need for Christ's gift of salvation, we repented of our unbelief, stopped embracing the sin we once idolized, and began trusting in Him. As our relationship with Him continues, we're invited to continue to practice repentance every time we become conscious of sin or unbelief in our lives. It isn't dreadful to repent. It's joyful because we know our Lord loves us and is eager to welcome us into his presence. He doesn't hate us when we make mistakes. He loves us and invites us to return to him so we can experience his cleansing. The portion of scripture that we just read from Luke chapter 16 illustrates our need to repent of our unbelief, and I'd like to point out four specific reasons why we should do so. And the first reason is this so you don't idolize your earthly experience. Let me reread verses 19 through 21. They say this, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. People throughout this world may all be living on the same planet, but the nature of our day-to-day experiences are quite different from each other. There are some people who live with extreme wealth and others who live on the brink of starvation. There are some people who dine in exclusive establishments and others who will find their next meal in a dumpster. Now, at the time Jesus spoke the words of this passage, the Roman Empire was the world's superpower, and economically speaking, they really didn't have a middle class. In many contexts, you were either very rich or very poor. If you had wealth, you could enjoy many of the finer things in life and live a a very comfortable existence. And while you were doing that, it could become quite easy to forget about the suffering of others. Well, as Jesus told this particular story, some of the people who were listening to him were Pharisees. They were part of a strict religious sect that hated Jesus and usually tried to find ways of accusing him by twisting what he said or trying to catch him saying something that could be used against him. We also know of this group of people that they loved money. 
They loved money more than most things on this earth, and it could certainly be argued that they loved money more than they loved God, even though they gave the outward appearance of being highly devoted to God. Now, in the story Jesus told, he spoke of a rich man who lived in luxury. He enjoyed fine clothing, fine food, and a home that was nice enough to have a gate. And he couldn't have been more different from Lazarus, the poor man Jesus also referenced in this story. Lazarus was starving. He was covered in sores. And he was swarmed by dogs that would lick the salty pus off his sores like scavengers. And the rich man, interestingly, he had plenty of faith. But his faith was misplaced. What I mean by that is this. He trusted in himself. And he trusted in his wealth. But when it came to the Lord, he didn't believe in the Lord. He idolized his, his comfortable earthly experience to the point that it didn't seem to trouble him that Lazarus, a man sitting right outside his gate, was suffering and in great need, willing to eat the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. The opening verses of this story are attempting to show us right away that it's better to repent of our unbelief toward the Lord than it is to idolize our earthly riches and experiences. Another reason that we're given in this portion of Scripture to repent of our unbelief is so we don't forget that our future is at stake. Look at verses 22 to 24. They say this, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Have you ever wondered how long you'll live? Now, I admit it probably sounds a little morbid to bring that up, but I actually think about that subject with some regularity. From the time I was young, I've always assumed that I would not be one of those people who lived a long time. I might be totally wrong about that, but that thought has been reinforced by the passing of several of my family members. In fact, just a couple months ago, my mother passed away. She was just shy of her 61st birthday. Many of our relatives on her side of the family have passed away in that age range as well. My father's side of the family, however, tends to live a little longer. So maybe I'll be somewhere in between. Maybe I won't. I have no idea. But even though it can be a little morbid to let myself think about things like that, I can think of at least one benefit to allowing that thought to cross my mind. It's a reminder to me that time passes quickly. And the vast majority of my existence is going to occur after my earthly life is complete. I have a future beyond the daily experience that I'm used to, and I would be foolish not to prepare for it. Well, in this passage, Jesus told us about what happened to the rich man and what happened to Lazarus after their earthly lives concluded. Lazarus was carried by the angels to paradise, which is referred to here as Abraham's side. The rich man who spent his life worshiping himself and worshiping his wealth went to the place of eternal torment that's referenced in this passage as Hades. He was in anguish there, 
and he saw even a drop of water from Lazarus as relief, which is rather ironic considering that he didn't bother to share a crumb of food with Lazarus when he was in need. Why do you suppose Jesus gave us this vivid picture of what comes next? I believe he did so in part so we don't forget that our future is at stake. If we spend this life ignorant of Christ and unreceptive to his offer of salvation and disinterested in what comes next, we can be certain that we will experience the outcome that Christ warns us about. But if we welcome Christ into our lives, if we receive the gift of his salvation and the forgiveness he offers, if we repent of our unbelief, we can be certain that our future will be one of delight in his kingdom. I love what we're told in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. There it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God is offering us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. We would be foolish not to receive that gift. Another reason we're given in Luke chapter 16 to repent of our unbelief is so good things don't keep us from experiencing great things. Let me reread verses 25 and 26. They say this, But Abraham said, Child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Have you ever considered how blessed we are to live where we live and when we live? Living in the southeast corner of Pennsylvania, I'm mindful of the fact that we live in a very nice area. At least I think it's a very nice area. I think it's beautiful here, and I try not to take it for granted. And if the Lord has blessed you with a nice area to live in, and if he's blessed you with other comforts, how should you feel about those blessings? Should you feel guilty about them? Should you feel grateful for them? Should you feel something else about them? Well, when we come to know Christ and he becomes Lord of our lives, he changes how we see things. He grants us a new perspective and a new worldview. The Holy Spirit transforms and renews our thinking so that we can begin seeing things like God sees things. He helps us to recognize that as good as some of the Lord's earthly blessings may be, there are greater things in store for those who believe. When we repent of our unbelief, this becomes clearer to us. We start seeing the good things of this world for what they really are, temporary blessings that should be utilized to glorify God, to help others, and to be enjoyed without being worshipped because there are much greater things ahead for those who know Jesus. I love what we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. In that passage it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Don't let good things keep you from experiencing great things. 
And there's one other reason illustrated for us in Luke chapter 16 why we should repent of our unbelief, and that's this. So we don't tune out what we need to hear most. Let me read verse 27 down to verse 31. It says this, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. When I was growing up, I listened to a lot of sermons. The men who pastored my home church, they did a great job sharing the scriptures and pointing us to Jesus. Now, admittedly, some sermons were better than others, and I'd be lying if I didn't confess that at times I glanced at my watch to see how much longer the pastor was going to speak. And I'll say this, by the way, after pastoring for several decades now, one of the things I didn't realize back then, but I know now, is that the pastor definitely sees you when you do that. (laughs) I see people when they do that, and your pastor sees you when you do that. When you look at your watch, we notice. But anyway, I'm grateful that I was part of a church that faithfully taught God's Word. Now, the rich man in this portion of Scripture clearly did not heed the counsel of God's Word. If Christ was referring to an actual person in this passage and not a hypothetical example, and by the way, I think there's good reason to believe that this man was a literal person because Lazarus is referenced by name, and typically Jesus didn't utilize a name in the context of some of these parables, but Lazarus is referenced by name, and I tend to believe that Lazarus was an actual person, which makes me also believe that the rich man was an actual person. But it seems that this rich man likely lived in a context where hearing the teaching of the Scriptures and learning what they meant was an option for him. We're told that he asked that someone go back to his father's house to warn his brothers of what comes next for those who don't believe. But Abraham reminded him that they had access to God's Word and could read the books of Moses and the books of the prophets and heed their teaching. But the man protested, and he feared that his family would continue tuning out the teaching of God's Word just like he had. So he requested that someone return from the dead to tell them. But as we know, if someone won't heed the teaching of Scripture, they also won't be convinced by someone rising from the dead. This became particularly clear after Christ's resurrection, when he proved that he was God in the flesh by defeating the power of sin, the power of Satan, and the power of death when he rose from the grave. Yet there were those who knew for a fact that he rose from death and still rejected him. All that to say, when we look at a scripture like this today, there are quite a few lessons we should glean from it. We live in the midst of that brief window of time when the Lord is giving us the opportunity to repent of our unbelief. We're given the alternative to worshiping ourselves and to worshiping what we've been given. Jesus offers us the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting in his kingdom if we'll trust in him. 
Likewise, he grants us divine understanding to identify areas of unbelief in our lives even after we've trusted in him. Where have you placed your faith? What are you trusting to comfort your heart when you're grieving? What do you believe will give meaning to your life and will satisfy your soul? Christ has offered himself to us and has invited us to walk daily by faith in him so we won't make the mistakes of idolizing our earthly experiences or forgetting that our future is at stake or letting good things take the place of great things or tuning out what he's been prodding our hearts to hear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for giving us access to it and allowing us to meditate on what you're trying to communicate to us. Lord, we pray that if there be unbelief in our lives, that you would help us to repent of it. Help us to trust you more and more and more each and every day. We pray that our faith in you would grow. We pray that our trust in you would be mature. And we pray, Lord, that we would look forward daily to what you have in store for all those who believe in you. Thank you, Lord, for the reminders that you give to us from your word. Thank you, Lord, for challenging our hearts and helping us to see things that, naturally speaking, we weren't seeing. Lord, we pray right now for our friends and our family members who do not know you. We pray that they would come to know you, that they would trust in you, Lord Jesus, and receive the forgiveness of sin that you offer so that they can live forever in your presence and enjoy your presence right now. We're grateful, Lord, for the life that you've blessed us with. It's abundant. It's good. It's a blessing we don't deserve. So, Lord, thank you for teaching us these things as we look at your word today. And we pray that by your grace, as you empower us to do so, that we would walk with you faithfully. We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we always invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com. And if you haven't already done so, we'd encourage you to sign up for our weekly newsletter. We think you'll enjoy it. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.